0: Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. everybody, welcome back to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM at Across Town. I'm Emily Trenum, the Memphis Metropolis host. And this week we're talking about the new Hospitality Hub. And my guests are Terry Conley, who's a case counselor at Hospitality Hub, and Ellen Roberts, who's principal of Dragonfly Collective and was very instrumental in getting the new hub going and off the ground. So welcome, Terry. Welcome, Ellen.
2: Thanks for having us.
0: Thank you for having us. So, before we talk about the new place, um, I want to just talk about what hospital. I mean, a h- hospitality hub had an old place, but I guess before we talk about the place, the new place, I want to talk about you know what is hospitality hub, how long has it been around, why was it created, and um, just kind of the backstory before we dive into the new facility. Sure. So the Hospitality Hub is 15
2: years old, and we began, it was a, came out of the Downtown Clerches Association. Um, So churches downtown who were seeing unhoused individuals and vulnerable populations coming to our doors asking for support, and each church was attempting to address those needs in between, like, other duties, like, on your way out to a hospital visit for a prisoner, for instance, or teaching a Sunday school class. And so collectively, we wanted to bring our resources together, which included our time, and um, included our money, and it included a place to better address some of the concerns that we were hearing. And really, at that point, the emphasis was really on hospitality. So we began in a building owned by Calvary Episcopal Church on Jefferson, and we were there for a few years, and then we moved to 82 North 2nd, which was also owned by Calvary. And we were there until uh, the pandemic, which is its own particular story, which we could get into um, in in the long history. So we began as an all-volunteer organization, um, church members and clergy folks, and we were doing Uh, things like birth certificates and state IDs. We had some lockers and you could come use the bathroom, get a cup of coffee. And then we began getting more involved and doing more in-depth work and then eventually moved from, um, you know, started hiring people. And then eventually we started hiring social workers. So, you know, we were using volunteers for a while to do those intake systems, but then we moved to social workers. And then when the pandemic hit, we went, we were all paid at that point. Um, and we didn't have, weren't able to have volunteers at that point. We're able to switch back to that. So we are the single point of entry um, for anyone who finds themselves homeless, uh, man, woman. Uh, binary, -binary, non-binary children can come to us for those initial resources. So if a loved one um, finds himself homeless, this is where you would send them first. And now we've added a lot more direct services and we can get into that story because that's a large part of the story of the building.
0: Well, talk a little bit about, it seems like the idea of hospitality, welcoming is sort of a through line from the beginning through the new. So talk a little bit about that as sort of a founding and guiding principle.
2: Yeah. And, you know, hospitality does have some, you know, theological implications and that's, you know, was, are the roots. We are not, you know, we still, you know, uh, are connected to the churches, but we're not directly theologically um, situated anymore. But that concept has changed to basically human centric. We want to see the individuals who come to us for need and see them and speak to them in their own particular circumstance, not as part of a group. And so then what we do is try to co-create with that person the steps they need and that they are able and wanting to take at that moment um, for the next stage of their lives. And so our goal, our mission as an organization is to help people become housed, um, but not everyone is ready to be housed right when you first see them. And so we're in it with the long haul with them and Terry can, can get into those details and what that work looks like and feels like. And like anybody I say, you know, uh, developmental is not linear at any stage of our lives. And it's certainly not linear when you are trying to figure out who you want to be when you're so under-resourced as a person living on the streets.
0: Well, so, so um, Terry before, and I do want to get to talking about the building but I know you're a frontline staff person so how does the how does the staff like embody hospitality when people come in to the hospitality hub
3: Yeah so one of the things that we always make sure is that as soon as they open up those doors and people are coming in We are greeting them with a smile and we're doing that genuinely and we're doing that openly, meaning that as soon as you come in, the first thing we say is good morning. How are you doing? How can we help you today? And just saying those simple phrases and looking a person in their eyes gives them a sense of comfort, gives them a sense of calmness, and they're able to let us know what's going on with them, what's their situation, and we try our best to help them. Um, and then from there, I signed them. So I work front desk. And so uh, in my role is... I am the first face that they see before they even go to a counselor, before they even go to, um, you know, out for a referral. Um, They see somebody and they see me. And so just making sure that, you know, I'm being friendly. I am um, I'm welcoming. I'm 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 making a space available for them to feel like they are like their needs are being met and cared for. So um, and that's the first thing we do. We say hello. Good morning. How can we help you? We sign them in. And then they uh, while they're waiting to be seen by a counselor, there is coffee and uh, creamer and sugar. And there's restrooms and their phones that they need to talk to a loved one. And then the counselor that we don't yell in our in our place. Um, our counselors walk up to them, greet them um, and uh, they bring them back to their uh, cubicles. And they go from there with their counseling sessions. Okay. So just making sure that, that we're looking them in their eyes and we are, you know, really connecting with that person on an individual basis um, really creates that sense of calmness.
0: Well, let's talk about the, I mean, just, it's really a campus and it's just, yes. so, so let's talk about this new hospitality hub. It's been in the works for a while. Like where is it for help? like physically located for people? And then what are the different, just sort of big picture, what are the different zones or amenities? What's located on this campus?
3: Yeah. Well, we are located at 590 Washington Avenue and um, our day services are open from 8 8- to 30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. And we have a wide variety of things that uh, we cater to for the unhoused community. Um, For our day services side, um, that's where I mentioned where you talk to a counselor. Um, We do emergency shelter referrals. Uh, We help with identification, which is state IDs and driver's licenses. We also help with um, birth certificates, whether that's in Shelby County, in Tennessee, or out of state, even out of the country. Um, Just depending on where you're born, we can help you get those important documents. We also do free um, COVID testing, for the unhoused uh, population here. Um, We also have emergency food stamp applications on hand and we mail them off. Uh, I mentioned that we have phones. A lot of our uh, clientele or a lot of our guests doesn't, they don't have phones. So we provide phone services for them. Like, hey, you're able to talk to your loved ones or um, make up appointments or, you know, schedule appointments or interviews and such like that. So that's our day services. And then we have a shelter side, which is called the Hub Hotel, and um, that is our shelter for women and children.
0: Um, That's not an emergency shelter. shelter. It is an emergency shelter.
2: It is. So, Emily, a few years back, we created a, before we were part of uh, the Homeless Management Information System, which is the data collection source that is a federally funded Thing that cities put their information. And before we did that, we had an internal data app that we created to really understand who our population was. So there are some of us who've been working on some format with this community for a couple of decades now, and we've all known that we've needed more beds for women. And so, but it was a little bit anecdotal. And so, what we needed were the numbers. And what we learned at that time that 37% of the individuals that were coming through our doors, through the hub, were women. And only
0: uh, 6% of the available emergency shelter beds were for women. So, Ellen, before you go on, why is that? I mean, is it because a lot of women have teenage sons? Or I've heard, you know, over the years that, you know, the the children have a lot to do with it. But why is that, that women, there's so few beds for women
2: you know, and that, well there are two things. Not only are there not enough beds, the beds that have been available traditionally have come with barriers, such as if you have an older male child. And in some cases, older means six, seven, or eight years old. I mean a little bit. Oh um, or if you don't have money or if you're not on your meds, there are definitely more barriers for women, even when those beds are available. I, you know, we can get into a gendered conversation about advocacy (laughs) and opportunity for women, but I I believe that that is part of the story. And especially since uh, the majority of the women we're working with are uh, black women. So we're talking the most marginalized group in our country.
0: And I think this is one other area that that has played out systematically. Okay, that makes sense. I just would always, on some level you think women would be... Mm -hmm. Top priority. Yes, you would think that, but... um... Okay. So the, um, so this is the hospitality hub did not provide any housing at all before, right? Well, we did not up until
2: March, you know, 16th of 2020. So when the NBA closed the country down and we all decided this thing was real, um, our staff, some, about half the staff said, we're going to keep working, um, because our folks are going to be confused and they're going to be suffering more so we were not in a place 82 north second was not an appropriate place to have a long-term conversation with someone and feel safe with an unknown disease flying around so we went to the sidewalk with coffee and we still had our some of our outreach team was still going out and then a few days later one of our partners so i mean uh terry mentioned a very important word for us referral so that's part of our work you said he had the hospitality part of welcoming but then you have the hub part which is sending people out to referrals and bringing partners in to co- get all the pieces together. So, but all there were no referrals at that point because everyone had gone home. And so one of and one of the room in the inn wasn't able to do their model of being in churches and they weren't able to carry that out obviously during the height of covid. So our staff came and said, "Hey, we're going to have 30 women tomorrow who aren't going to have a place to stay because room in the inn is going to close." And so then we went to work and first ended up at First Presbyterian Church with a pop-up shelter, not at all understanding what we were doing. And then a shelter-in-place was coming in, um, we went to the Moxie Hotel and we moved every, women to the Moxie Hotel and took over the third floor. And we supported the housing community development with sheltering other populations in other hotels, but we actually ran the Moxie, like a quarantined, fully staffed place. And then we bought a house in Midtown as that program was ending, as the sheltering in place was coming to an end and renovated it and moved women there. So unplanned, we started sheltering
0: folks. You got into the housing business before you had intended
2: years to like, oh, let's go visit some more places and relax and come up with our policies.
0: So while we're um, talking about the housing, let's sort of go in. I mean, to the extent you can do that on the radio, let's go inside the hub hotel because I looked at the pictures. It looks like it's really nice. So, so Terry, what's, what is the hub hotel like? Well, besides being Beautiful and amazing. Um,
3: it is, I mean, I, I, I really can't, and I, I'm not lying when I say this, it is the most beautiful and calming and trauma-informed shelter that I have, or just place in general, um, even just taking the word shelter out of it, that I have ever come across and witnessed. And and, and I seriously mean that. Um, so there are 17 rooms. Upstairs in our shelter and out in the Hub Hotel. Um, There is a community space. Um, There is a beautiful balcony, outdoor balcony for the women to enjoy and just look over like the outline of downtown Memphis. There is a Flex spaces up there. They have their own laundry room and they have their own um, salon that Miss Ellen is in right now. Um, <laughs> that is is gonna be up soon and running with volunteers. So They're gonna get haircuts and hair done and get their hair done in a manicurist. Um, they have their own community garden um, that
0: is available for them. Um so there's a lot of amenities. And how long do people typically? I mean, I realize you have just opened, but how long will will people typically stay in the hub hotel?
2: So, Emily, that's part of the the trick. So the where we were where um, was more program based, and we do have women who are like long term. They know what their goals are and they're working towards them. You know they're working we, we're capable of getting folks jobs and working with people to get jobs and we transport folks as needed to appointments and to jobs so but then there are folks who their life still might still be on the street um, but they want to come in tonight and so our goal and it's, it's been complicated i'll be honest um is you know to let anyone in when we have a bed no matter their circumstance and even if they're going to leave tomorrow or even if they might not make curfew back tonight or if they even are gonna be with us for six months while we work with them on all the pieces. And we definitely have more complicated cases. We're finding more, we're finding both a younger population and an older population or a population that is just physically older than their age. And so finding um, appropriate housing for someone who's not really physically well is difficult. And so that takes us longer. And really one of the best resolutions, we had a woman who'd been staying with us at the pop-up shelter, stayed with us probably for a year and a half. And we eventually were able to reconnect her to her family whom she hadn't seen in 10 years. And she's you know younger than me in her forties and but couldn't care for herself. Um, not long-term illness, not, we're not talking like, oh, she has a disease. She was just aged by her, her lifestyle. And, but we got to connect her with her family. They moved her back to Texas, found her assisted living and supported her from there. And so the creativity you, and the requirement individually, there's you know innovation as an organization, but then there's constant advocacy and innovation individually that Terry and her colleagues are constantly working on to find solutions.
3: And I think that's what makes it so special like working here is that we meet people where they're at, um, no matter their stage in life. If so, if a lady... Uh, needs to stay for a couple of months. We meet them where they're at and and we help them with those goals and we help. So our whole plan is we form and execute a plan um, to help individuals and families exit out of homelessness. Um, And so that means like, hey, um, maybe reconnecting with family or getting them permanent supportive housing um, here in Memphis. Um, So like I said, we just meet
0: people where they're at with that. So, c- continuing to talk about sort of the campus, it it I'm, um it also has you know outdoor areas. I mean, you mentioned the garden, but I think there's like a plaza where people. C- so, talk a little bit about that and where people can come and feel comfortable hanging out. That's my understanding. Unlike places where people don't people hang out, but they don't feel comfortable. They feel harassed or they feel like they're being stared at or whatever. This seems like it's a place where people can come and it's designed for them.
2: It is. And I mean, we're still under construction. So, you know, but so the the 590 Washington address that Terry told you about is the old vehicle inspection station downtown. So we're on the same block as the morgue and uh, juvenile court um, on Washington. And so we have that whole 2.2 acres. It's still city property and we lease it from them for a dollar a year. Um, And by the way, the support from the city has been remarkable um, and continues to be remarkable. And I'm I'm super grateful and, and proud to be working with the administration that has understood the work that we do and that this population, their needs need to be addressed. And so they don't have to take that on within their city government, they can support us. And then we are taking that on for them. And I am so grateful for that partnership. So we have an outdoor plaza, which was originally created as a phase one. um, And it was supposed to be a, a, a satellite office to 82 North Second. But when COVID hit, when we finished building the plaza, while we were sheltering women, Our day services all moved at the plaza. So basically, the team, until we moved in here, had been working outside for two years. And all of our guests had been outside. So all the casework was done outside. We had dropped a couple containers for offices. But it was difficult, difficult work. Um, And they were remarkable. And I do think we learned some important lessons there. But I'm personally glad that they're no longer So what's the the future
0: plaza? I mean, when it's it's
2: built... You know, restrooms, deck, uh, a pavilion, and then adjacent to it will be what will feel more like park. Trees, uh, built-in amphitheater, topography, gardens, hammocks. And so that, that groundwork is happening now. Um, they're putting irrigation in this week. And then that comes up to the building. And then um, tucked into the middle of the building is a staff courtyard um, adjacent to the staff break room, which I'm personally very grateful and proud to have those spaces to offer them to have a place to step away from their desks and take a moment. Cause it's hard work that they do. And then we have a third space that is just for the guests who are staying with us overnight. So it's for our women and the women and children. And so that is being, um, built right now, the fence is up and they're starting to put the gardens in and it's, it's going to be super lovely, uh, water feature, um, Patio to to eat out on, and you know, we were informed through COVID some of this need, and then we had a relationship with a national foundation called Nature Sacred, and we worked with them, work who did you know charrettes, for lack of a better word, um, with our team, with our partners, with guests for the features for each garden,
0: and they did all the designs in kind. And you can the plaza and that outdoor area will be open twenty four seven.
2: Yeah, it will be barrier free. Now, we don't really encourage people to sleep outside in our spaces. Um, it's one of the things, it, just as we don't, you you asked, if you were you had written about our outreach team, we can talk about that. One of the things is we don't, as a city and as an organization, we're not really interested in encampments, because it's not really a healthy way to live. Typically, they become very filthy,
0: very quickly, very dangerous. And,
2: that's been our experience. And so that's something we're not really interested in creating
0: here. So having people with tents and stuff like that.
2: No tents. We don't really want sleeping here. Um, You know, since we opened this building, it's sort of, uh, you know, build it and they will come. I mean, we were seeing, you know, you know, 2,400, 2,100 new um, homeless individuals each year. We're now on track to see 3,400 since we opened this building. So we are seeing more and more people because we have a nicer facility, and so more people are coming to us. So that does mean that our interactions on all our spaces, and they're very difficult with the construction right now, um, have become more complicated. And so we're, you know, we're working on our response with our our work local team, which is light remediation, and our outreach team, and security, and our in our space. Once once
0: I think we have full control of the campus, it'll be a, a much better opportunity for everybody. I see. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. And I'm talking to Terry Conley from the Hospitality Hub and Ellen Roberts from Dragonfly Collective. And we're talking about the new Hospitality Hub. So, um, Ellen, I guess it's sort of a question for you and maybe you, Terry, as well. You know, in the whole design of the space, um, how did how was it conceived of? What, I mean, did you rely on sort of best practices or input from guests? Also talk a little bit, you've talked about trauma-informed design and that sounds like I should know what that means, but I'm not completely sure what it does. Um, I'm, you know, my, my I have very narrow perspectives. I'm thinking that must be soothing colors. And, I mean, it's probably, part of it. It's part of it. Probably science behind mm-hmm. it. So what is that? So what were all the elements that went into, um, the design of this new facility? I'm sure it was a lot.
2: Yeah, I mean, so, you know, personally, uh, this is decades in the making for me. Um, this is something that I've known has been needed for a long time. My mentors in this um, sector um, were strong advocates and worked very hard to come up with solutions. And so this is a, a super powerful response to long-term need. And we wanted to move into it with uh, an aesthetic that presented opportunity and not poverty. So we have entered into building this campus with a mindset of abundance. And oftentimes um, work in these spaces, it's more about scarcity than abundance. And so we have built the building that way, the campus that way. I hope we are building our team that way, so they feel like they can work more freely and are, become stronger advocates. Because we have set them up in an organization that is looking for the solution. We want the yes, and if we can't, if we don't have the yes, we might want to build the yes. And uh, so this is a we hope is a big fat yes. Um, and so with that, we have there's a lot of natural light, a lot of windows. Um, the placement of the lighting, the hot, wide hallways, yes. the function of the building is, you know, not necessarily trauma informed per se, but architecturally, I think we've really hit how the building functions. And I think it so that flows in a way that makes sense. Um, having folks like Terry, who are, are, are simply magic in the lobby. Like, I mean, I bet we're seeing, you know, through all our programs, we're serving over 300 individuals a week. But through that lobby alone, we're serving you know over 200 adults and 100 children a week. And lot and that so, what Terry provides in what is a spacious place, um, it's it's kind of the combination of the two, and it is colors. Um, you know, and we worked with uh, a woman called Car- oh, Carol. I'm not going to remember her last name. I'll get that to you, Emily. Uh, with Spaces, a woman-owned um, furniture group in town who helped us pick out every single piece of furniture in this building to fit our aesthetic and our need. And so it is it is um, presenting our best foot forward. Um, and so we want people to feel like they can meet that and that they have an opportunity to succeed in that space. There's um, some, you know, places set up the way we set up our counseling rooms. It's, it's a community room. It's set up where the resources are always changing. And so if you're referring people, you have to know one of our, you never tell people what you think, you tell them what they know. Because if you tell them that you think the social security office is available to see you at eight tomorrow and someone walks three miles to the social security office and they're not available to see you, you've lost trust and they've suffered. And that was on us. And so it's our job to always be on top of that. So some of that is the way the the room is set up so that counselors can almost constantly resource each other through conversations. And we have found that for some individuals, it's actually safer for them to have that first conversation in an open space versus come to me in an office. That's but very interesting. We do have offices that with some, some of them with doors, Kelsey does not have a door, um, that you can bring someone in to have a private conversation with a door closed and so we have that flexibility when someone is clearly locking up and needs a different kind of space to come to. And so it was is those kind of things that we we've built in. So Terry,
0: um I mean I guess from the perspective of the clients and also staff. I mean, we are so used to when you're accessing, you know, social service, especially you're poor, you're in like a church basement with old linoleum. And um And people don't. And of course, we also all know that the space you're in on an everyday basis just really can have an effect on your your mood and everything. So what's the what's the reaction and the response for the clients in this new space, but also you and your colleagues?
3: Yeah. So um, and and Ellen kind of touched bases on this um, prior to our. Our, our building, our old plaza—that's what we kind of call it, the old plaza—to um, here has just in our new building has just been it—it um, it, it has been such an eye opener. Our clients, I'm noticing that they're a lot more um, pleasant and, and 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 responsive and more. Um, open open to uh, the information. They're able to remember it more. They're able to uh, really understand what we're trying to convey to them. Whereas in our old building, we were outside in the elements with you. So if it was 102 degrees outside, we was outside doing counseling sessions. And we all know how Memphis Heat is. It is um, very muggy, and so when it's hot, especially we're in the downtown area, so we're right there by the water, and so we're really feeling the heat, and so not only you can see our clients are frustrated, they're not really able to finish an intake because it's hot, they got somewhere to be, in, they're hungry, you know, they don't even have, um, you know, a cup of coffee or just, you no know, water available for them because that's just where we were. Um, but now, where it's fast-forwarding now to our new building, um, it's quieter. There's not any, you know, loud outside noises affecting the counseling sessions. Um, like I said, they're able to really intake uh, the information that's given to them, and um, they're able to get water. They're able to get coffee. They're able to get snacks when they're available, Um um, to our guests, so just being able to really service them in a, in an area that um, is cool and they're not hot or they're not extremely cold, they're able to just receive information a whole lot better and get things done.
0: I can only imagine that it must really contribute to just people's state of well being in that small but important way. Ellen, you are you did you want to say something?
2: Yeah, I mean there are two things. One, uh, another thing that we did in the bedrooms, we built in organic choice. So each bedroom, you have a roommate, so you have to negotiate your roommate. Um, but each bedroom has their own control. It's like those, you know, hotel P tacs for air and heat, so they can control their own heat. They have blinds of different types. Um, and they can dim their lights. We just, throughout the building, we attempted to create choice because most of our folks, which is a very trauma-informed thing, most of our folks had choice taken away from them a long, long time ago. And so we tried to do it without like saying, look, here's choice, um, you know, but to build that in. And that's, that's what Terry and their teams do as well. Um, you know, it's our opportunity, it's our job to constantly offer. These are the things we can do with you um, and
0: always invite. So um, you talk, let's talk a little bit about the outreach team. I'm sort of curious about how that I mean, we've talked about people coming to the hub since you're a hub and you're the single intake, but I know the hub staff also goes out to do outreach in the larger community, people that are unhoused. What is, what does that work look like? And um how does it sort of integrate with the building?
2: Yeah, so we have two teams that are out in the community under our outreach department. We have Work Local and Street Outreach. And Work Local is a blight remediation program in partnership with the city of the Department of Public Works, as well as Downtown Memphis Commission, Memphis Medical District, some private businesses. Um, so that group is, um, it's it's day work. And so, you know, it's a four to five hour gig and it's everything from picking up trash, um, you know, three one one calls. Uh, we cut alleys, and um, you know, it's a live. It's a it's ten dollars, so it's fifty bucks for the like four to five hours. Plus, we feed folks lunch. Plus, it's really a it's an invitation. Come be with us. What else do you need? What else can we do for you? And it's also a great referral for folks. So we have folks who. Um, people will call us and to ask, you know, we have a specific job. Do you have anyone? It's like, Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. John's been out with us three times. Um, hard worker, keeps his head up and a great leader. Totally recommend them. He's coming back in next Tuesday. Let me get your application and we'll go through that with him and make sure he has paperwork and then we'll come introduce you. And so we can sort of facilitate that process. We have some folks who have, you know, they're living on a particular means and so they come to us once or twice a month and then they can, they're, they're fine. They can keep themselves housed. Maybe we've already helped them get housed. And so they just need that extra hundred dollars a month. And then we have some folks who have a very like they're trying to get back home. Maybe we're meeting them halfway on a Greyhound bus ticket. Um, and then we've you know, provided them work. And it's it's really kind of a remarkable program. The city loves it. We love it. Our guests love it. And next year
0: we'll give out over five hundred thousand dollars in wages. To- that's amazing. And so that's one of the outreach It's all over
2: the county. The other is our our street outrage. And so that is a team of four right now who began on golf carts just on Main Street. And the idea was we have individuals who are never going to come inside, never going to come to us. Let us go find them. And that was a pretty significant switch for us. And we began with the partnership with downtown Memphis commission who had a golf cart <laughs> and gave us a little bit of money um, to get started. And now it's integral to our work. And we, so they, you know, we take calls from Steve Shuler. Um, we take calls from, uh, you know, NPI, the works, um, private businesses. Well, we go out, they go out into the woods uh, with Overton park staff. Um, and again, it's to build that relationship. And you know, we're working with autonomous individuals. We're never forcibly removing anybody, but we're always engaging. And we've been. There are a lot of successful stories from that. Um, and the, and one of it was we have these five studios that they're offline right now during construction, but we're about to build. So we'll have ten studios and a bathhouse. They're just these one-bedroom houses, and you can see them on the website, Emily. And they're so lovely. And they're the best carrot in the world if you've been living under an underpass, because if you're living under an underpass, you decided a long time ago, I am never sleeping in a shelter for whatever your reasons. Um, and so these are individualized. You know, we became familiar with non-congregate uh, during the during COVID. So non-congregate opportunities, and they're shelter. So, but they're they get people back inside. You know, teach them how to make a bed again. Teach them how to you know you know take care of themselves and you see this just remarkable change in people and we've been able to get folks housed in a very short period of time like 30 days or so in the from those and if you if so there's this program called rapid rehousing and um you know catholic charities is one of the groups that has that dollars and we work with them and we refer people to them but even if you get a yes and say you are qualified for rapid rehousing which is a journey of itself Of course, anything government funded is a dream. But then they don't necessarily have keys that same day. Like the answer is yes, but can you come back to us in 45 to 90 days and we'll see if we have an apartment for you? Well, you lose people 45 to 90 days on the street. So put someone in a studio and then we know where they are. We're doing constant casework in part because they've got to come to the bathhouse to go to the bathroom. And so there's this constant ongoing relationship and they've been they've been remarkable, and street outreach really manages those. And most of their folks go in there.
0: Seems like you need more of those. Seems we're like going to do
2: more. We're going to do more. Okay. Do
0: more. <laughs> well, so you sort of touched on something. I think. I mean, Memphis, of course. You know, Ellen and I used to work together. Had a lot of conversations about. You know, urban sprawl and the impacts. And that was very spread out, and I do. I know that there's. Just heard anecdotally that there are, you know, encampments in Hickory Hill and, and um, and people. So, so I guess a multi-part question. Does the outreach team get out there to try to get into the nooks and crannies where people are? And, and then how do you help them get into, I mean, not just the hospitality, but there's other services people might want to access that are located more and closer to the center of the city?
2: Yeah, so our team is resourced with Jeeps and they're resourced with information. And so, and they're resourced with uh, amazing, beautiful creativity and compassion. So when we you know we have a full kitchen here now. And so when I was like, Oh my gosh, when the kitchen's up, you know, uh, we can prepare sandwiches and y'all can take them out in a cooler. And they're like, Nope, we just want the ingredients because they use that opportunity of making a sandwich for someone to have a conversation. Like, well, do you want ham or do you want Turkey? Do you want mayonnaise or do you want mustard? And it's like, that's remarkable. I mean, it changes the, the process dramatically, but so we can transport people and get people to places. Um, and, you know, that's it's sometimes, you know, it's a first visit, but rarely um, it's it's, you know, once someone's on our radar or encampments on our radar, it becomes part of their route. And so they'll keep going out there and keep checking on folks so they'll know who lives at McLean and Madison. You know, McLean and Madison person might not be ready to come inside. And again, we're not we're not MPD. We don't remove people. Um, that's not our job. And so we do have to educate the public about that.
0: You know, I know there's an annual point in time count of, you know, that's done nationally about people that are unhoused, And I, but I feel like they should just call you and ask you because I'll let you guys know everybody. <laughs> you know, there's this many thousand and we know all of them by, on a first right. name basis. Yeah,
2: that and a couple other partners, we can pretty much nail it. But that's one reason, Emily, you asked why weren't there enough beds for women? Because they're undercounted. Because if it's point in time is at 3 a.m. and you're a woman, where are you? On somebody's couch
0: or you're or in a garage seen. or in a garage. Yes. Or on
2: top yeah. of a roof. I mean, you're not seen. And so that is really one of the reasons that uh, we've not had enough beds for women.
0: So um, th- what really struck me about this is just how... Um, Innovative, the whole approach and the building is. You know, you think of these kind of services being a lot of the funding comes from government, and which, of course, doesn't really support innovation unless it's a special little pool of pilot mm-hmm. money. And so it must have, you must have needed to call on a lot of new partners to. I mean, probably I'm guessing that I don't want to, you know, look, I'm not suggesting I want to look inside your books, but I'm guessing, you know, a lot of the operating programs are things that can be, but probably not a beauty salon. I mean, HUD probably doesn't fund a beauty salon. And so how did you bring in new partners to really create this space, this wonderful space?
2: Sure. So when we, we began the mayor's office and presenting this idea in 2018, and, you know, they, they said that they would help support the operations, but it was our job to do the capital. Um, but again, they offered, they had the property. So that was a pretty big deal. And so we really worked on local and national foundations on the the capital as well as donors. And it it's a story that if you hit the right person and it, it is incredibly moving and we have we have the details of people's lives who have been changed. And you know, not everyone's lives is gonna look the way we hope it looks at the end of their time with us. But our goal is twofold, to decrease your suffering immediately. Yeah. Everything from Terry greeting you with a smile to providing you a bed tonight. Long-term to provide you the, the, the stakes you need to have a stable and safe life long-term. That's a very rocky road, but it is a very moving road as well. And so if you talk to any one of the women staying with right now, you would not find a single story that was the same as the next. Um, The reasons that people are homeless are myriad and the reasons they need to come out of it also need to be varied and different. So that's why we're creating these different solutions. The studios we were able to pilot through COVID dollars because they were non-congregate. We are working with Councilwoman Logan and City Council just passed a resolution for us to build more of them in Raleigh. So one of your you know suburban sprawl areas that has an issue. And so and that has some ARPA funding in it. You know, so there has been some of that money flowing around that we've been successful at getting and we started really figuring out federal funding funding through HCD and then the city and the county are helping negotiate our operations and that's a that's a remarkable commitment and then you know we're doing the work of individual donors you know we have our you know small donors and our medium donors and you know always wanting to co- cultivate these larger donors and and that's and right now the building sells that story Um, bringing people in helps that process a lot.
0: So, so Terry, I mean, I'm sure as the, I mean, as the counselor and also as as the, 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 what is it the SEC foundation calls John Mansfield who sits at the desk, the director of first impressions, Um, (laughs) you're the director, you're the director of first impressions. Um, I know you, you, you know, you hear all the stories and, but also stories are important to capture because you got to capture numbers to report, but also the stories, to, as Ellen was saying, you know, to increase fundraising and support, you need to sort of capture the stories. Um, and do you just remember them or do you, is that something you, the staff sort of, you know, reports on the So especially the stories where you've had a positive impact? How do you acknowledge that and measure that
3: i i also want to speak on this too before i get into like making sure that you know we're advocating for our guests um i always make sure that i ask for your first and last name and i make sure i remember that name um and i think that helps with their trust like wow this lady not only is she smiling at me but she is making an effort to remember my name She's making an effort to every time I come back in because I'm noticing that our guests are not just a a one time. We see them on Monday. We don't see them again. No, sometimes we need to see them Tuesday and then Wednesday or sometimes they they just need some encouragement. I walk in and I say, oh, hi, Mr. John uh, or hi, Miss Stacy. How are you doing? Oh, wow. What's your name again? Terry, you know. Make becoming familiar with our guests is one of the important things, um, and then two, um, just making sure that we're always checking in. Like we always give our our guests tasks to do, um, whether that's okay. Well, hey, here's this check. Go and get your ID to the Shelby County Clerk's office right down here within walking distance. I need you to come back so that I can upload our, the paper copy into the system. Oh wow, okay. So in their head, it's like, okay, well, not only does the lady know my name, but I've just given this task. And so when I come back, they're given the next steps.
0: That nice lady is expecting me back. That nice lady (laughs) is expecting me back. So let
3: me make sure that I'm back. And then two, the follow-ups. We always follow. We like we always try our best to get a contact, or oh, we don't have contact information. You don't have a phone? Well, hey, here is a referral to a guy that we know who gives out phones for government assistance. And here's what you need, and, and 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 he or she will be here on such and such day. I need you to come back at this time, and 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 I'll make sure that that your name is on this list to come and see that phone lady, and then boom. Guess what? They have a phone and they're excited because they, nobody has ever helped them with a phone before. Nobody has ever tried their best to make that initial, you know, contact and communication with them. So just getting their name is the most important thing and then remembering that name and then giving them the task. And then from there, we're able to create that or not a story, but we're able to create that plan and to help them um, exit out of their situation.
0: Well, get so, one step closer. Okay, well, that's amazing, Terry. you must have met, met some incredible people, and just it must be very rewarding. It's dif- I'm sure it's difficult work, but it must be also very rewarding to be that face, that first face that people can encounter before they can unlock really a whole bunch of resources um, that are available that they, yeah. probably they didn't, some of them they didn't know about. And they're all in one place. That's the, the other thing. You don't have to go here and here and here. I mean, you may need to go here and here and here, but you've got someone like you at the hub who's helping guide you. Yeah. So, so um, just last question, is there anything about Hospitality Hub that you want people to know that I didn't ask you? Um,
3: Just one of the things is that, we are a place that tries our best to come up with yeses, because a lot of our guests, they have been told no for so long. They have been given no after no after no. And it's so hard to come out of this hole that I call homelessness. It's so hard to come out of that. Uh, and so we try our best. with well, hey, we, even though we may not do this, here's the organization that does this. So we are a big opportunity and a big organization that, that thrives on yeses. And
0: if, and, wanna, and if people want to, and if people want to, you know, make a donation or get involved, give us your website and the phone number people can call if they want to get involved with your work, or if they want to go on a tour. I understand you're still doing tours yeah. um, of the new facility, and if people want to see it, so how can people get more information?
3: Yeah. So, um, well, we are open. We're at 590 Washington Avenue. We are open Monday through Friday. Our day services side is open Monday through Friday from 830 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. And our phone number is 901-730-1736. And our our website is www.hospitalityhub.org.
0: I'm sure there's a big donate button there and people can make contributions.
3: Yes. Yes, it is. Please, please. Okay. Um, and then to um, our community uh, relations uh, director, her name is Sari Fung. She is uh, doing all of our, uh, Uh, Tours, And so there is uh, an availability there for everyone to come on and uh, sign up for tours. We also are, uh, Miss Ellen touched on this, we are redoing our volunteers. And so we also need volunteers to come and um, help us do some of this work so we can make uh, the job even more smooth and uh, work more efficiently. And there's also a form uh, available on our website as well for people to uh, volunteer. And that's with anything, that's from help make coffee, greeting, doing mail checks. We also have a mail system, I forgot to add. Um, Cause unhoused, our, our, our unhoused population doesn't have a, a home or a home address. They are, can, they can uh, use our address and receive mail here as well. Okay. So services.
0: This is just an, such an amazing story and an amazing facility. So you've been listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. We've been learning all about the new hospitality hub. And I've been talking to Terry Conley, who's the case counselor and Ellen Roberts, who is the with Dragonfly Collective. So thank you. Thank you for coming on the show.
3: No, thank you for having us. I appreciate you so much.
1: Memphis Listening Lab proudly supports WYXR. They provide a curated collection of music and music history, a forum for music-related talks and performances, and a music education, appreciation, and experimentation space located in Crosstown Concourse. The Lab is open Tuesday through Saturdays from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can find out more information on their Instagram page at Memphis Listening Lab or on their website at memphislisteninglab.org.
0: been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.